Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. Hello and welcome to the Indie Cider Podcast, episode number 55 for Wednesday, February 22nd, 2017. I'm your host, Ken Gagne. This week, I'm playing Warlock's Tower, released in late January for Steam, as well as iOS and Android, developed by MidiPixel and published by Whippering. Warlock's Tower is a top-down 2D puzzle game. Here's the setup. The evil warlock, his heart filled with hate, has decided to destroy the world from atop his magic tower. However, the nations of the world have gathered together and written the warlock a letter to let him know that they actually do like him quite a bit, and he doesn't have to destroy the world. You play Tim, the mailman who is charged with delivering the letter to the warlock atop the tower. However, the tower has some magical properties which will make your journey arduous. Primarily, every step you take costs you a hit point. When Tim enters the room, he has only three points, which means you can take three steps on the square tile-based grid, and then you die. You have to pick up a gem that has a three or a five on it, giving you that many more steps. And by collectively getting these diamonds along the way, you gain enough steps to make it to the exit. Now, the gems are not cumulative. For example, if you have five steps left and you pick up a three diamond, the number of hit points that you have left goes to three, not eight. So whichever diamond you pick up, that is how many steps you have left after you pick it up. You'll have to carefully chart your course as well as avoid zombies and slimes and other monsters that will eat you, activate switches to lower barriers, ride conveyor belts, pick up keys, switch between other partners, and more. Every time you die, you reset to the beginning of the room unless you put down the flag, which allows you to resume from the point in the room where you put the flag down, sort of a checkpoint. The game is played entirely with the arrow keys, so it's pretty easy to get into. Let me tell you about three unusual features of this game. One is that it is designed to look and sound like it was developed for the original Game Boy back in the late 1980s. The first few levels are entirely black and white, or more black and spinach. Other levels have different hues, like pink or green or blue, but primarily it's a very limited palette. However, it looks great. It looks a lot like the puzzle games I used to play as a kid. Another cool feature is that it has Twitch integration. So if you connect this game to your Twitch channel, which is an online streaming service for video game players, then people in the chat room can suggest solutions for each level as you're playing it. They can type up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, and then you just click on their solution and Tim will take those steps and you can see who was right. This is inspired by Twitch Plays Pokemon. However, it's a little bit more moderate because you still have ultimate control. The third and final unusual feature is that the game supports three languages, English and Portuguese, because the game is developed in Brazil, and also English. That is the pejorative name given when Japanese individuals try to speak English and screw up certain letters or swap out certain consonants. The warlock in this game, whom you encounter throughout your travels, can speak English if you choose. Now that doesn't sound very sensitive to English as a second language learners, but I did ask the developers why they chose to do that, and you'll see later on. It actually is kind of funny, like the warlock sometimes will replace the word faces with feces, and the malapropisms that he employs and the misunderstandings that are resulting can be quite amusing if you're able to 
look past the name that they chose to give that particular style of broken English. I do really like the game, though, and if the developers had not given me a key, I would have bought it, because I've been on their mailing list since last March, waiting for this game's release. You can find the game at midipixel.com if you want to check it out for yourself. You can also find a link to that website and all the other resources mentioned in this show at indiesider.net slash warlockstower where you'll find not only this audio podcast, but also YouTube gameplay footage of me playing the game while interviewing the developer, if you would like to see the game as we're talking about it. Or if you just need to see my solution to the first several dozen rooms. Also at IndieCider.net, you can tweet at me, you can leave voicemails, emails, and also link to iTunes, where you can leave a review for this podcast, which will help other people to find the show. In the meantime, here's my interview with one of the two developers at MidiPixel. Thanks for listening. Hello and welcome to IndieCider Podcast episode number 55. Joining me today is game designer and developer from MidiPixel, Igor Speranza of Warlock's Tower. Hello, Igor. Hello, how are you? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm fine. Congratulations on the launch of Warlock's Tower. I first heard about it almost a year ago and it's finally come out and it's lived up to all my expectations. It's a a lot of fun. Uh, Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm glad that you enjoy the game and that that live to your expectations. It's really hard like to live to people's expectations when you have so many cool games coming out. Yeah, it's very hard to get noticed because there are a lot of Steam games out there and uh, MidiPixel is just one studio of many. This is not your first game, though. You've worked on other titles before, correct? Yeah, I mean, MidiPixel has uh, made some other games before, but that's uh, the first uh, MidiPixel uh, uh, Midipixel product. It's the first uh, Midipixel game that's coming out to the wider uh, public. And who is Midipixel? Is it just two of you? Yeah, it's uh, Werther and I. I am the, the main developer and uh, I also do some game designing. And uh, Werther is the artist. He does uh, the graphics and the music and sound effects. And how did you two meet? Yeah, we used to work uh, on a uh, previous. Um, we used to work together in another uh, game studio called Nano Studio from Rio. We're both from Rio, and we worked together there. And uh, on uh, the end of 2013, the studio closed, and we decided to create a an indie studio uh, to work on some of our ideas and also to explore a more like indie and um, personal side in, in our games. I love indie games, of course, and I love how your game immediately can be grasped as being an indie game. Gameplay is hard to portray in a trailer, but you take one look at Warlock's Tower, and the most striking thing is the aesthetic, because it looks like it was made for the original Game Boy. Why did you decide to go with that look for your game? Yeah, they, they are actually... Um... There are actually a few reasons. Uh, I think the main one is uh, both uh, Werther and I, we are on our 30s right now. And we kind of grew up uh, playing uh, Game Boy generation consoles. So I guess uh, we, we that's not really a surprising answer, but I guess we always felt nostalgic about uh, this kind of aesthetic and how, how much you can convey using uh, the basic four colors of the Game Boy. I remember as a kid being really impressed with what you could do. I mean, uh, by playing Pokemon, I always, uh, I was always amazed at uh, how these tiny 
16 by 16 uh, sprites could really uh, explore a wide array of characters and settings. So that's really cool. And uh, so we get that, like we, we were, we played these games when we were kids, so we have fond memories of them. But there's also the idea that when we started working on Warlock's Tower, we, uh, we, we, we decided that by going, by applying a minimalist, uh, applying minimalist graphics, we could be we could we could be freer to explore other sides of the game, and in this way we could like uh, 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 at the same time trying to uh, appeal to uh, gamers uh, our own age or younger who uh, enjoy this kind of graphics, and at the same time uh, really focusing really focus on the puzzle aspects of the game. I can see how games of yesteryear really had to focus on the gameplay because they didn't have a lot of flashy uh, visuals to cover up poor gameplay. And Warlock's Tower, however, has both. I, I love the aesthetic. I love how the color changes with every couple of floors. And the characters are very expressive. The graphics never get in the way of what's happening. You can always tell what's going on. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that, that's, really, uh, that's really like... Uh hard to get when you're making a puzzle because usually uh, our levels are designed around uh, the, the puzzle solution and there can be uh, other, uh, there can be distractions if you go too far when you're designing the, the level uh, effects and graphics. So we, we try to keep it a minimum so you can see uh, straight ahead, uh, as soon as you get a look in the level, you can see uh, which tiles you can move, which tiles you can't. Uh, what are the moving pieces, what aren't. So in this sense, uh, our game feels and plays. Uh, we could make like this game work in a board game, for instance. So, so that's the kind of like uh, 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 thing that we were aiming for. And I see that this game, like many of your games, is made in Love, which is a framework for 2D games in Lua. Does, do you feel that that framework works well for this particular style of game? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, uh, I started using uh, I started using Love 2D uh, because I I actually I actually used a lot of, of Lua when I was in college. So I was looking for when I started uh, when I started looking for uh, frameworks that would allow me to prototype game ideas uh, fast. Uh, Love 2D was a natural uh, contender. It was like a good idea. Let, let me take this language which I already know, which I which I uh, have experienced working with, and let's see if I can make games with it. And and it really worked, and it worked well. Uh, at this moment, uh, Love 2D framework, the Love 2D framework is my favorite framework to to make games. Um, we, we've worked on some game jam projects since we started working in Warlock Tower, and we used um, Love 2D for most of them. And I feel really productive using it. I think it's a very smart, it's a very elegant. Uh, Love 2D has a, has a really elegant API, so I find myself really, it's really comfortable for me to work uh, using uh, Love 2D. And I noticed that you used this framework to integrate some really cool features into your game, such as Twitch. Is that something that Lua includes out of the box, or is that something you had to develop from the ground up? Yeah, kind of. Uh, it, it's not a standard feature. 
it's not like that's uh, I had to fetch a library for that but there are two libraries which I which I brought to our project one of them it's the uh, it's a IRC a library because Twitch uh, Twitch chat uses the IRC protocol so I had to find a way to connect to Twitch's uh, chat API so I need to to bring that uh, to my project, and the other part was the the SSL uh, SSL protocol, the HTTPS connections, which I need to the HTTPS requests, which I need to make. But uh, I mean, Lua is a really easy language to 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 connect to things. It's really it's really easy to to uh, to to bring these different libraries together. That's one of the reasons why I like uh, Lua, and I eventually end up liking Love. It's because I I could find these thing, these uh, things really easily on the web, so I, I didn't have to build uh, these modules from the ground up. I mainly uh, found something that was already coded, which I thought would work for me. I say, okay, I'm going to see. Uh, how hard it is to put this on a project, and and I started doing the work, and I said, yeah, yeah, it's not going to be so hard. So so things uh, kind of moved uh, quickly in this area. Was the Twitch integration feature inspired by Twitch Plays Pokemon? Sure, <laughs> <laughs> sure it is. Yeah, in fact, I, I think that Pokemon has a huge influence in our game overall. Uh, if you if you make the right search on Google, you probably will be able to find. Our first prototype, and in our first prototype, which we wanted to test our game's idea, we 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 just used Pokemon sprites and tile sets to see if things were going to work. And also on Twitch Plays Pokemon, this was our when we we started uh, creating the Twitch integration. The first thing we thought about doing was something exactly like uh, Twitch Plays Pokemon, in which uh, viewers would type their individual movements on chat, and these movements would be polled, would be uh, a vote would start, and then the most voted movement would be selected. We eventually ran into some problems uh, on that area thanks to Twitch's delay. So players from around the world can be seen, can be watching the stream uh, from varying levels of delay, like from 10 seconds to one minute. So this in a game in a game like Pokemon, in which the movements don't count as much as in Warlock's Tower, this voting and this delay uh, isn't as big a problem, unless in certain specific parts. In Warlock's Tower, a game in which every step you take uh, steals one of your lives, you die a little bit. This voting uh, would be uh, would be incredibly cruel. Uh, it would take forever to to beat a level like this because uh, if you if you take one misstep, then your character dies and has to start over. So when we started integrating, we decided that the best idea, the best way to go to bring uh, Twitch viewers into the game, was uh, the experience that we that we repeatedly uh, saw. When we, we brought game to fairs and when we brought the game to fairs and events uh, in which someone would pick up the joystick and play the game, and uh, her his or her friends would start uh, to 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 
to make suggestions like, oh, you should do this, oh, you died, you should do that. So with thinking uh, in these terms, we decided that the best thing would be to create a, a, a platform in which viewers could do that. Like they can type suggestions in the tweet chat and these suggestions can be accepted by the streamer. And there's a scoreboard which tracks uh, how much points each viewer got from making a solution, from making a suggestion. So it's 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 all uh, came around together, and I think in the end it fits uh, the game uh, really nicely. Have you seen any cool anecdotes or stories of Twitch integration and how people are using it? Yeah, kind of. Uh, I mean, I've 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 had the the amazing opportunity to watch uh, some of these streams, and there are always fun things uh, which happen, like. Uh, uh, what what frequently happens is that if, as I said before, if you if you make one incorrect step, your whole solution can be flawed. You're going to die. So what usually happens is that when you're typing a solution in Twitch chat, you need to be really. Uh, it's really easy to forget a character, a single movement, and that usually screws up your entire solution. So uh, one thing that it's always fun to watch is to see when one of the viewers who already figured out the solution types the solution in chat window and he, and he forgets a move uh, right at the end so the character stay, the character makes all the right moves and right at the end he makes he should move to the left and then move to the right and then uh, i mean if the broadcaster still have steps left he can finish the level for the for the viewer but usually he dies and he has to start over and then everyone said oh no you're almost there this is really common to watch and it's always fun it's always uh, a situation in which you feel that the integration works but in those scenarios why not include an undo feature that sends the mailman back one step yeah yeah we could have done that in a similar fashion to like how emulators can save the, the game state. We add, there's a feature in the game, it's the magic flag, which allows the player to uh, to like mark a tile in the in the stage, like mark his position. And whenever the player dies, he will start from that position onward. So yeah, that's this mechanic. We could have worked around a undo button an undo mechanic, but we, we liked the idea of creating a, a uh, save your position feature better. I think it, uh, at the same time, it's, it works better with the overall uh, retro feel of the game, but also it creates a, a different uh, mode of play. This mechanic is uh, most usually uh, used when you have like a is a stage in which you already figured out a part, like you already figured out the beginning, and then you plant the flag, and then you keep moving from that position uh, uh, forward. So uh, we think that works well, and we've seen this work well. And it also this can this also works with Twitch. Once the broadcaster already figured out like the beginning of this of a stage, okay, we have to do this this. The the broadcaster can make these movements, plant the flag, and then the viewers can suggest solutions that begin on that position. So uh, you can you you can like test ideas and and save time by using the the magic flag mechanic. 
So there's a lot of opportunity for collaboration among Twitch, but I saw in some older descriptions of this game that the tag team levels between the two characters could be played two-player. Is that a built-in feature, or are you just expecting players to pass the keyboard back and forth? Yeah, yeah. We initially wanted to create something like players would play the game like uh, on hot seat. Played some other classic games, such as the Apple II game Chivalry, where similarly people are passing the keyboard back and forth, so that, or they're playing on the same keyboard, so that I can see how that would make sense. This can be done, but it doesn't make uh, so much sense with Warlock's Tower. Right. I mean, we could have, yeah, we could have, like, uh, asked people to do that and, and, and encouraged them to do that, but there's no increased fun in doing that. There's a lot more fun with, when players, like, they challenge each other like say, oh, let's see if you can beat this level. You have three tries, and then they try. This is more fun. I mean, uh, sharing the keyboard in a game where one step from one player can hinder the the solution from the other player. It's not as fun. So we dropped this. There's another feature of the game I was curious about. It supports three languages: English, Portuguese, <laughs> both yeah. of which are spoken in Brazil, and English, which it, when the wizard pops up, his English is a little broken. He's using malapropisms and the like. And I I personally found that funny, but on the other hand, I wasn't sure it's what might be considered politically correct because it's laughing at somebody who's not mastering a foreign language. And I, as somebody who speaks only English, I don't know any other languages, anyone who speaks like poor English probably speaks another language better than I do. So I was wondering what your thought process was that went into that. And, and again, I found it funny, but I'm wondering if this was something that you were concerned about before you put it out there. Yeah, yeah, we were ready. I mean, the, the, this decision of, of making the Warlock uh, struggle with, with English... It's something that uh, it's in the game since its first uh, prototype. I mean, it's it's a joke that works on on a few different levels. Um, on on the on the most like uh, on the the most superficial way, it's just fun to see uh, this this wizard, which should be like a, a smart dude because he has he's a wizard. Like he has world destroying powers. He can make a full, uh, uh, a very tall tower with a bunch of monsters, and so he's a he's a he should be a wise guy, but he isn't, right? So that's the most the, the, the most superficial way in which you can uh, get this joke. But there are several other layers uh, into that. The one of the the most important to us is that when we when we played uh, games uh, when we were younger, Vertha and I, we used to play a lot of JRPGs. Um, mostly on the, the the Super NES and other other systems, and they they usually came with translation errors to English. And we, I, I was really a kid. I, I don't I, I don't know if I I don't know if I uh, could uh, distinguish these errors because I didn't know English very well at the time. But when I play these games again, I can see some of them, and it's amusing to me. And so this is like our main uh, layer uh, of the joke. There's also a second layer in which we, we think it's funny because we, we, ca- we kind of consider this a self-joke. My English is not perfect, so I when I, when I write and speak uh, in English, it usually comes like... Uh, I usually struggle with it too. It's kind of a crook English. So I, I, we, 
the most criticism we received didn't come from people considering this joke uh, politically incorrect. Most come from people who didn't get the joke. And that's that's kind of surprising to us because uh, I think that for for Brazilian uh, players, this kind of humor is really easy to to catch. Like they see right away what you're doing, and uh, probably they also struggle. So it's really clear to them that it's a joke. But we, while we were developing this project, a lot of times we we needed to explain. Like we received offers. Oh, I, I played your game. It's really fun, but you guys should find a real translator. And they commenting on how the game would be better if this joke would be if this if this uh, nature of the warlock didn't exist. So I guess this is the area in which we most uh, needed to 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 work around. Right now, the game has like English and English. Uh, not because we 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 had problems with this joke being politically incorrect, but mostly because some players uh, wouldn't uh, get this joke. In in particular, in mobile, the game uh, has been released Steam, iOS, and Android. The English option is by default because our player base is different there, and uh, players usually will pay less attention to this aspect of the game. They won't be expecting it. So that's a decision we made in order to like lessen the effect of of confusion for players who, who got confused. Oh, that's a great explanation. And I appreciate your allusions to the JRPGs of the Super Nintendo because I grew up <laughs> playing Final Fantasy IV with yeah. such memorable lines as Spoonie Bard. <laughs> yeah. And this ties right into that. Yeah, one of my favorite uh, JRPGs uh, from the Super Nintendo was the... It's 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 kind of obscure, but I love it. It's called Lufia Lufia True. Uh, yes, Rise of the Sinistrals. I love that game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's it's a great game, but it has it has even bugs. And uh, I think I'm trying to recall whether it was Lufia Two or Lufia One in which one of the villains, one of the villains uh, called uh, a goddess, I think, appears uh, in a very dramatic line and says uh, something along the line. I'll show you. He wants to say true destruction, but he says fruit destruction. It's a, it's, it's really marked me. <laughs> yeah, it's really wrong, and it's really funny because it should be a dramatic and awe-inspiring moment, but it's just laughable because of that. <laughs> so close. <laughs> We've talked a lot about the development of the game. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, distribution and publication of the game. As far as I know, correct me if I'm wrong, this is Midi Pixel's first collaboration with the publisher Whippering. How did that come about? Yeah, it was it was cool. Uh, we we talked to a few publishers before we talked to Whippering. Um, we were looking for uh we were looking for someone who could like who, who believed in the game, who wanted to see it uh, released. And Whipring was the first uh, company who started talking to us and that uh, wanted to take this game. Uh, uh, I mean, we, we wrote in the credits that Whipring was the first uh, publisher who saw the game for uh, what it was and for what it could be. And uh, Greg is a really uh, amazing guy. He, he was the one who suggested the Twitch integration in the first place. 
he really believes in this kind of, of, of interaction with players and this kind of integrated play. And it has been really fun to work with him. We, we've done, uh, I think we started working with Whipring uh, since uh, last year's uh, June, I think. I'm not sure they have to check that, but, but sometime around that. Whipring kind of uh, showed up like not at the beginning of the project because we have been working with it uh, for some time now, but it considerably, in my opinion, increased the, the quality of the game. So it's not just about getting the game out there. It's actually assisting yep. with the development of the game as well. Sure, sure, yeah. I mean, although uh, distribution is a large part of being a publisher, uh, I mean, there's only so much work you can do uh, if you if you if you if you can't if you can't like uh, create something. You, 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 I mean, what I'm trying to say is that you would work. Uh, your your work wouldn't have the same uh, strength and uh, potential if you couldn't like also uh, give some new spin and direction and see new things which we were failing to see when we were working on the game. So we we especially when you've been working on a game for so long, uh, we started working on Warlock Tower in October uh, two thousand fourteen. So uh, we've been working with it for like uh, one year and a half. So uh, a publisher is always a set of fresh eyes. It's going to, to take a hard look at your game and see how it can become a better product, which platforms it can, in, in which platforms it can uh, work and which it won't work. Um, how can you make your game better than it already is? Just by seeing at it, just by looking at it in a in a new way, in a different way. So so that's really cool. And one of the one of the areas in which uh, Weeprint really really uh, helped us. Awesome. And that helped you to get the game out onto Steam, which I think was your first time on Steam, but also iOS and Android. And I saw that you may be working also on 3DS and Vita versions. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Is that that is correct? Uh, we probably it's going to take some time now. Uh, maybe by by, uh, by spring, but we're still we're still looking uh, we're still looking on the best way uh, for doing these sports because I mean it's not going to be it's never is a trivial porting like when for instance when you have the 3ds you have two screens so we, uh, one very basic thing is that what are you going to put on the second screen what are you going to show are you going to show a minimap um, uh, are we going to, to, to integrate these two screens into the gaming tech team? We don't know. We need to, there, there's going to be some, some, some thinking now that the game is out, uh, but we are aiming for a, a spring. Now, some developers I've spoken with, they, when, uh, when they're releasing games for multiple systems, the Vita is a very low priority, and more and more developers are just dropping that version entirely. May I ask what your take is on the vitality of the Vita? Yeah, I mean, uh, we we read this as well, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's many developers are interested in interested in uh, developing uh, games uh, for the Vita right now. But I think that uh, the most important thing to us right now is that when we were developing Warlock Tower and testing 
uh, the game with players and uh, taking it to events and fairs, one of the things that we, we that we realized is that the game really works on handheld platform. Like, uh, it's really cool to play the game and the the play cycle, uh, World of Star Wars play cycle really works when you're like on the move, on the run, because uh, you sometimes you struggle with a stage and then you stop playing that stage and when you go back to that stage, you just see the solution. Your brain has recovered and you're well rested and whatever. So um, we, we really would, we really wouldn't want to pass on the opportunity of porting this game, which we feel work uh, really well for handheld platforms, to a well, uh, uh, like a cool uh, handheld platform such as the Vita. I mean, uh, at this point, like the game is already done. Uh, we have like uh, released it, and we feel like the game succeeds. Uh, we have been hearing a lot of good reviews and uh, nice uh, comments about it. So I think that uh, it's worth a shot. I, I wouldn't want to, 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 to miss the opportunity of putting a, a game which I think works in this platform and uh, not having it there. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And I just have one last question, and we could do a whole podcast on this one question, but I just <laughs> I just want to touch upon it. I have done IndieCider podcast interviews with people in Canada, Australia, Germany, France, England, Russia, Siberia, all over the world. But I think this is the first time I've spoken with a developer in South America. What is the indie game scene like where you are? Is Are there other people doing what you're doing, or are you do you feel pretty isolated? Yeah, um, our industry is not uh, fully grown. There's a lot of space to be explore, um, explored and there's a lot of things we can build uh, down here. We're starting to, to create a community and we're starting to uh, create uh, events which happen annually every year. So that's really cool. But we're still like growing. Um, I don't feel necessarily isolated because um, there's, there are great ways to connect to developers all over the world. Um, we use like Twitter a lot and in this way you often don't feel as isolated and neglected. Uh, but sure is harder because we face uh, some problems uh, that doesn't affect more uh, um, developed uh, markets and industries around the world. So the, the, I think that the hardest part for, for us uh, uh, Latin American and uh, uh, South American developers in January is that we're still figuring out how, uh, how to do things, um, how, to, how to dodge and, and drive around problems that we, uh, we have that really make, make, they really make our lives harder. For instance, we have a huge piracy problem in Brazil. We also have, uh, and, and this piracy problem has created a, 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 a philosophy, a way of thinking in which players don't want to pay for their games. This is the kind of, of things that we need to, to consider. And we also have like, a uh, we have problems with taxes and importing technology. So I, I guess that isolation is not really a problem right now. 
because we can, thanks to the internet and to uh, events around the world, we can get in touch. So I think that the, the feeling uh, is, the worst feeling is to know that there's a lot more we, we can, we can, you could do, but we haven't done yet because we're still developing this community and this market and this industry down here. But you get there. I think that we are on a good, uh, we are on a good direction. We are making progress. There are already uh, great games, uh, great Brazilian games, which are reaching uh, out to the world. Everyone is is like recognizing these companies and they are making a difference. So I think that's the most important thing right now for us to keep doing this and to keep uh, strengthening our our uh, community. Excellent. Well, I applaud you for being one of those innovators who are pushing that community forward. Remind our listeners where we can find you and Warlock's Tower online. Sure, yeah. You, uh, our, our website is midipixel.com, M-I-D-I-P-I-X-E-L.com. And also you can find Warlock's Tower in uh, Android, iOS, and uh, Steam. Just type Warlock's Tower. And I hope you guys uh, uh, take a look at the game. I think if, if you like puzzle games, if you like hard games, if you like uh, retro games in general, if you like uh, weird uh, humor, uh, these are all traits which people have been praising the game for, and I think you will like what looks out. Great. Thank you very much, Igor of MidiPixel. Yeah, thanks, Ken. This has been IndieSider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieSider.net.